0: So the first question is, how many titles of identity do you have in your group? So kind of brother, friend, son. So get into a few groups. Another question to throw into there is, for better or worse, how do they affect you? How do they affect how you see yourself? So a daughter or son, how does this affect you? Within that question, can you talk about if they're a burden or a blessing as well? So... Is that a burden or a blessing being known as a daughter or known as a son or how they see yourself?
1: As as Georgia said, this week we, in this room, have been talking a lot about our identity, who we are, what makes us us. And part of the reason for that, Andrew's message this morning in there was outstanding. Part of the reason for that is not only... As he mentioned, are we in a society that is, uh, we are very self obsessed and we're encouraged to be self obsessed. But we're also in a society where we're all very aware of how fragile our identity is, how fragile we all feel. Perhaps we project images of strength, um, but we're aware that with just a few criticisms or a few comments, Internally, at least, we can start to fracture and feel vulnerable and insecure, and so that's partly why we've been talking about it. We're a society that majors a lot on the importance of self esteem. Um, another word for that is pride, and the, it's interesting that in almost every other century, except for this one, pride was always almost always seen as being a bad thing. It's bad to be proud, the Bible says that God opposes the proud. And our society majors on encouraging self-esteem, self-pride, belief in self. And we looked, as Georgia said, on the first day, we uh, we are what we do repeatedly. Second day, we said we are uh, what our culture shapes us into be, whether we like it or not. And we've got to learn to critique that and instead be shaped differently. And yesterday we said we are who we, who God says we are. We are who we are when we're alone. And we talked about the importance of developing a, a healthy prayer life. We had our friend Moshtaba here who talked about his time in prison in Iran for his faith and what it's like to be in solitude and be on your own for that length of time. Well, today we are, as, as we've been starting to discuss in our groups, talking about the importance of living with others, that we are who... The other people in our lives tell us we are and make us to be. Again, for better or for worse. We are very concerned with being, being true to ourselves in this society. We're very concerned with developing an authenticity in our individuality um, but for a lot of people, we're told that to discover who you are, you need to look internally at your emotions and your feelings. You need to retreat from the people in your lives and find out who you are as someone separate from the people in your life, that you are who you are on your own. The central idea in, in our culture is perhaps be yourself. Don't be what others tell you to be or don't be what others say you are, um, and so we try to express ourselves as individuals in distinction from the people around us. We want to look different. We don't want to look the same. Or we want to fit in with that group because they resonate with who we are, not that group. And so everything from our, our hairstyles to our clothing choice to the houses we develop and the cars that we buy to the holidays we go on, even right down to the, the, the names of the children that we, we give to our kids. They, often we're naming our kids in ways that really reflect our own values we like that name because we think it's creative or interesting it's even expressed in the um this kind of obsession with individuality and self expression is seen in in the the latest name naming of the baby of Meghan and harry they broke with tradition they didn't call their son edward or william or george they went for like something different arch it was archie you know because you're like a big fan of the royals they went with Archie or Alfie Archie Zebedee they went with something very different um, I came across uh, an interesting image online that expresses this um, obsession with self and individuality as opposed to community in a uh, saw a friendship bracelet on the friendship bracelet it says just be you which I, I love the irony of that because the very the very definition of friendship is is learning to not just be you but instead to learn to be alongside and in friendship with somebody else. But even the way we do our friendships, we're like, "Oh, just be yourself. Don't worry about me." Like that's not really friendship. That's just selfishness. Um, dancing in society used to be a community activity where. We would dance as one and we would express a oneness in the way that we dance. So if you've ever seen Pride and Prejudice or anything from that era, you know that people would dance in community. They would all learn particular steps and do what the room are doing and stick to the rules of a particular dance. Whereas now you go clubbing or dancing wherever you dance in your kitchen. Uh, It's about self-expression about you doing something unique and individual and not doing what everybody else around you is doing. When people dance, they dance almost on their own, in their own space. And you've got a group of a 100 people all in their own spaces kind of acknowledging that others are there and, and maybe mimicking to some degree, but there's an individual expression. Apart from when you go dancing with Christians. Uh, if you've ever gone clubbing with guys from your church, um, you notice there's a big difference in the way that Christians do it because we can't help it. Christians form circles of inclusivity wherever we go accidentally without doing it so when I used to go out with my church friends uh, it would always be slightly awkward because everybody else would be dancing in the kind of individual own spaces and then the church would somehow just create this circle and like somebody would occasionally get pushed into the middle of the circle but there would just be circles pockets of circles and so you'd be on the balcony looking at the dance floor and you go where are my friends from church oh there's a circle over there that's where they are because Christians are obsessed with the value of including including others So individualism uh, or expressive individualism is an idol in our society and as a result many of you um, won't be able to hear what we're saying today or if you do you won't like what we're going to say today because uh, idols blind us, they blind you to bigger truth. We can't imagine any other way of thinking or being than the idol of individual self-expression. There's a fascinating documentary on YouTube, if you're into that sort of thing, called uh, Century of Self. Century, like a hundred years, Century of Self. Go away and watch it. It's, It's just fascinating to see how this idea of our obsession with self-expression hasn't always been there. It's something that largely has been created as a result of the last hundred years. And perhaps the techniques from the marketing and advertising agencies to sell you products have caused you to become more and more fragile in your identity, but more and more obsessed with yourself and your individualism. So what's needed to, to break with that and to live in a bigger, fuller reality, I think, is to somehow critique that but break with that and see that you aren't just who you are on your own. You are also bound to a people, to a community, whether to a family. Uh, Westerners, we perhaps don't appreciate this because we're, we're so committed to the idea of self-expression that we don't understand necessarily what it means to represent our family or to be who you are as ambassadors of your parents or of your family name or of the company you work for. And when I used to work in a supermarket, they would tell me, don't, 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 um, don't wear your uniform out in public because we don't want you to represent us in public. But they would always try to drill into this. Or uh, when you used to walk home from school, they would say, don't get into fights on the way home from school while you're wearing your uniform. I mean, once you've taken your uniform off, you can do what you like. But don't do it when you're wearing the uniform because you're carrying the school's reputation. So we're not used to thinking in terms of reputation and how other people affect us. But the Bible says, or it displays perhaps, The value of both, being in solitude, being on your own, and being in community. And if you want to develop a robust, a strong identity, what's needed is a regular back and forth interaction between being alone, being with others, being alone, being with others, being alone without your phone, being alone with God in prayer, and then being with others in person, in body, and not just through social media, not just digitally as we'll talk about. The Bible sees you as an individual. It sees your, your individuality and your worth as a person expressed often in terms of who you belong to and what community group or what persons you're a part of. It talks about us often in terms of the roles we play, the roles we have in a group. Even when we talk about human beings having a, a value and a worth, So we would say that as a human being, you have dignity and value just through the virtue of the fact that you're a human being. Why? Because the Bible says you are made in the image and likeness of God. Your dignity and value comes from the sheer fact that you are associated with another, associated with God. When you become a Christian, you are adopted into God's family. You're called a son of God. And even that title son or daughter is a title of individual identity that's that's also part of a family because a son and a daughter is a son and a daughter of somebody. And so you are sons and daughters of the father. And so your identity is always expressed and outworked in the Bible in terms of who you're a part of, who you're associated with, who you're connected to. Whether we like it or not, you will never get away from that. So I want us to turn to a few Bible verses and see uh, how the Bible sees humanity as being people who are interconnected with one another. So I've got my two, my two helpers here. Welcome. Um, I'm going to ask you to do a dance or a drama for us in front of everybody. Not really. You just have to stand there. It's OK. <laughs> so can somebody find for me? You at the front. Hi. Could you find for me 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22? Um, Can somebody else find for me? You? You, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. Can somebody else find for me? Who else? Who else has a Bible and is looking like they want to read something? Thank you. Um, 1 Peter 2, verse 10. Okay. So, uh, one Corinthians fifteen twenty-two says, "Can you um, next step? Could you come here and read it into this?" Thanks. Just verse twenty-two, I believe.
0: Um, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be be made alive.
1: That's it. Thank you. Perfect. Now, the Bible. Talks in terms of representative heads of humanity. So, um, Elwin, you strike me as being slightly more sinister than this amazing chap here who we're going to come on to. And so, you're going to be Adam, and you are going to be obviously Christ. If you come stand here for me, the Bible, when it pictures. You, and it pictures the human race, it pictures you as belonging to a representative head. By birth and by nature, we are born into Adam, the figurehead of the first humanity. And so um, I need, let's have a couple of helpers. Could you two come out here for me? You two, yes. Thank you. If you come and stand behind Elwin, please. So when you're born, you're born into Adam. And the verse we had read to us said, as in Adam, all die. So the destiny of every person born is to die because we're born in Adam, our representative head. Or if you like, the driver of the train that the human race is on took the train off the tracks. And so everybody who's been born since Adam is in a train that is off the tracks, hurtling through the fields, threatening to tip over, threatening to break up and crash at any moment. Our destiny eventually, ultimately, because we're in a runaway train that's not on the tracks in Adam, is to die. But in Christ, who's sometimes called the second Adam, in Christ we're told, all shall be made alive. And so when a person puts their faith in Christ, what happens is they don't just make a, an individual lifestyle choice. It's not like becoming a vegan or a vegetarian. They transfer from being part of one mass of humanity to being part of... No, you stay there. You haven't made this decision yet. <laughs> <laughs> they cross over from being so you go from being sorry for embarrassing you there so you go from being in Adam to being in Christ and in Adam all will die but in Christ all should be made alive and so when the Bible talks about you being in Christ it pictures you literally in a new type of humanity in a different way of being human okay next Bible verse who's going to read could you come and read it into the microphone for me so 1 Peter 2 verse 25
0: All right, there you go. Um, sorry, there you go. But the words of the Lord endures forever. 1
1: Peter two,
0: two. twenty five. Oh, sorry. sorry. Um, ah, <laughs> uh, for you um, were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Brilliant,
1: thank you. Okay, so along with the collective identity of being in Adam, we're also told that in Adam, what it looks like is that you are straying like sheep. In Isaiah 53, it says, "All we have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. That we are straying like sheep in Adam. But when you become a Christian, you return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So your collective identity is either in Adam, either straying like sheep, or either in Christ, either under the good shepherd. Next Bible verse. Here we go. Sorry, it doesn't go any further.
2: Uh, okay. Once you were not a people, but now, sorry, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy.
1: So the next one is once you were not a people collectively you are just a a mass of individuals once you were not a people you didn't have any corporate together identity that in Adam you are not a people but now because of the mercy of God you are the people of God whether you know one another or not whether you like one another or not that's who you are your identity is the people of God and there's other corporate identities in the Bible as well that we see so um uh, which one are we going to go for here we go so we have this one Outside of Christ, as a Gentile or as those who are not a people, not the people of God, there's a belief in many gods. You can, you know, worship whatever God you like, live for whoever you want to live for. But when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he doesn't say, say, my father. He says, say, our father, that we are connected by the fact that we're part of his family, our father. Again, you might say that in the world, there's lots of different, particularly in postmodern society, there's lots of different beliefs. Believe whatever you want. Anything goes. If it's your truth, then great, good for you. But when you become a Christian, and you can transfer now, my friend, you cross over from just saying, I believe whatever I want, and you line up behind historic statements that the church have made, like creeds. And you read together and declare, if you're in a church that does this, we believe, we believe in one God, the creator of heaven, of the heavens and the earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. That's why we sing those songs, because we're saying, we're not part of this mass of just believe whatever you want. We're now part of this group. We believe. We are together in this. And so that's part of how the Bible pictures our identity as under-representative heads. Adam or Christ, straying like sheep under the good shepherd not a people, the people of God, believing whatever we believe, belief in many gods, our Father. And that is something to be celebrated and cherished. And there's a lot of strength that comes from that. You don't need to discover who you are, the fragile, insecure version of yourself and hope to high heaven that you can be someone who's confident and strong in the world. Instead, you can line up as part of the people of God and say, this is me. This is my people. This is who I'm a part of. And there's confidence and strength to be gained from that. Thank you, guys. You can sit back down. And you too can as well. Thank you. Should we give them a round of applause for standing? <laughs> Thanks. The um, there's a, a, a psychologist or a psychotherapist called John Bowlby, who developed theories of attachment, Um. His observation through a series of um, experiments that were done, his learning was this, the drive and the desire in every human heart for attachment, or we might say for acceptance or belonging, the drive in every human heart for attachment is a stronger drive than the drive for, for food and sex. And a, n- a number of you have heard and you're aware, I'm, um, I have strong drives for, f- well, we're all aware that we have strong drives for food. Can't go more than 10 minutes without eating or, you know, a few hours without eating. And we're very careful that we don't stray too far from a food source. No one just walks off into the into the desert and doesn't give any thought to what am I going to eat and drink. Because we're aware I have a drive in me for for food. I need it. I can't go too far without it. It's the same with sex. Um, Freud, the psychologist from the last 100 years as well, he, he was very big on this and said, oh, at your core, you are just a sexual creature and everything you do is really about sex and a drive and a desire for sex. John Bowlby comes along and through a series of experiments proves, actually, that's not true. There's a deeper drive in the heart of every person and it's a drive for attachment, for belonging, for acceptance. We are who the people around us make us to be or say we are. And that is a burden when we're in a, particularly when we're in an abusive or corrupt community. But it's a massive blessing and it's life to us when we see the value and the privilege of it. And you see, rather than just retreating into a selfish individualism, I'm just going to find me, I'm going to look inside and see what desires I have and express them because that's me. We should be those who walk towards community and take on responsibility. Who find the biggest, the biggest, strongest rock we can and push it up the hill. Who say, this is what I'm going to live for. This is my people and I'm going to join myself to them. I'm going to take responsibility for them. I mean, ultimately, that's what it means to be a mother or a father. Is to say, I will take responsibility for them and I will nurture them and give them life. And for men especially, this is something that doesn't come as I say as naturally when a mother gives birth no one no one asks the when you go to when you go to register the baby no one says to the mother and who's the mother because it's obvious the mum knows this baby is part came from me is part of me but they always say who's the father and at that point a good man steps up and says I am I will take responsibility for him Part of my identity is now going to be shaped by him. I am father, I am dad. And whether or not I'm a good father or a good dad is yet to be seen, but it's a valuable part of what makes me me. If you saw, um, have you seen the new Lion King film? Yes, the new Lion King film. There's a beautiful moment in that. The moment in that film that, that sent shivers down my spine was the moment where Simba. He has the, the, the revelation that his, you know, his dad's speaking to him from the water and the sky, and it's very exciting and mystical. But he says, I am Simba, son of Mufasa. And he returns to reclaim the, the, the promised land or the, the pride lands. I am Simba, son of Mufasa. It's my best attempt at an African accent. Um, and off he goes. But whoever you are, that's who you are. So I've been telling my, my kids ever since that, you are Riley, son of Jez. And he's like, oh, great. <laughs> you are Zach, son of Jez. He's like, really? Can I be, can I be son of Amy, the, my mum instead? No, 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 it's me. But you, learning to embrace and accept, I am son of God. I am daughter of God. is a big part of what makes us us. Um... Okay, there's more I could say, but I'm going to stop there because I want us to get into groups. And then we're going to uh, hand over to these guys for an interview and discussion. So what I'd like you to do is, why is this not working? We're going to get, okay, Elwin, this is over to you. Haha. Elwin, ladies and gentlemen. What resonated
3: with you from all that was just shared? The Next question. What are some big questions you have about your future? And how do you think those questions ought to be impacted by people in your life? Last question. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What makes being with others challenging?
0: Okay, guys, if you want to bring your um, discussions to a close, um, these guys are some of my friends, my cool friends, um, and we're going to kind of just interview them. Um, They've got a really cool story, um, and I think their story is really powerful, and I think it is... Oh, they're fighting on over who to start. Um but so I just thought it'd be really encouraging for us to hear a bit about their journey and how kind of the community around them has shaped them um and how and if they can give us some advice. So why don't you just tell us who you are and where you come from and something about interesting about yourself.
3: You go first.
0: Okay, we're not having this the whole time. You're going first.
3: <laughs> um my name's Elwin Lathi. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm from south-east London, and I live in Campbellwell. Um And an interesting fact about myself. I don't know. You
0: can do a really good impression of fast No. <laughs> um.
3: I don't have. I don't. I don't have one. I actually don't have one. Sorry. What? Uh, w- w- what's that? I've never watched it. Do, 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 do what do I say? What is it again? Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Yeah. Go
1: ahead give back, well done. <laughs> tell us about you. Well
3: so,
2: my name's Renady and I'm from Southwest London. I live in Brixton, and an interest, interesting fact about myself is, uh, I think i got really long fingers. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Very good. Um, So I'm just going to ask them to share a bit about their journey kind of through New Day, not how they got here kind of on a bus or a coach, but actually how they got to be serving um, at New Day. So over to you, Erwin.
3: Um, So it all started off off in secondary school. Um, We went to a secondary school called Archbishop Tennyson's in Oval. I don't know if you guys know where that's from. Thanks. Um, So our teacher... He was our tutor. I'm pretty sure you guys know what tutor is. Um, he took one of the pupils to New Day the year before. And um, he came back the next year and he basically presented New Day to us as a school trip during the summer. So we all kind of like looked at the promo video. He showed us a promo video. So we was like, yeah, this, this is looking good. Like, yeah, you guys want to go? So we, we all literally, like 10, 15 of us literally planned to go that year and um, so we all got here now um, got to the big top and we're looking around at people worshiping like this is new (laughs) we've never been somewhere like this before so um, and a lot of us grew up in churches we have our home churches and we never experienced the kind of worship that happens in the big top so when we hit the big top it was like a big surprise to us so, um, yeah, eventually through the week, we kind of warmed into it, but no one was really committing to services and trying to commit to God. We kind of just felt like, okay, we're here to have fun. So throughout the week, there's of course, there's a lot of stuff happening during the day, like football tournaments, basketball tournaments. We were just having fun, really. and um, So that year, we kind of just went through that year without nothing much happening. So the next year we went back to school. We was like, "Yo, you look, look, this trip we go in, su- we go to in summer, it's wicked. You guys come." So next year we brought like twenty, twenty, twenty-two of us. Came it was like the biggest group. Like y- you, you look at the concourse, you see us. It's like, oh no, <laughs> yeah, you know who we are. Um, and <laughs> cool, um, yeah. So that year, that year was different for us because. A lot of us hadn't gone before, and some of us had. So we knew what to ex- to expect, and some of them didn't. So when we got into the Big Top, we was like, okay, yeah, how are these guys going to react? Some of us were all worshipping and getting used to what the week was going to be like. And some of them there are like, okay, what what is this? And we're we're just worshipping and stuff. And I think that year, some of us committed to God. Not, um, I wouldn't say it was the it was the best year for us, but some of us committed to God, and we tried to show others that uh, look this this is the life you should you should commit to, and some of us did do that, some of us didn't, some of us went on our different paths, and yeah, that's pretty much what I have to say, and the, the rest is the story, the rest is why we're here, yeah.
2: Um, I'm just going to talk about the latter stages. Um, so, yeah, um, in the last few years, we've just like, grown to know God and like, just learned to love him. And um, it's really why we're here now, because uh, we just feel like when it comes to serving, we're giving back to God and giving back to the event that like, He's done so much for us. Ultimately, like God saved us, but God used this event to get to where we are. Um, and I guess that kind of explains why we're here serving right now
0: it's cool i find it so encouraging every time i hear it and i these guys have been such a blessing to new day and stuff so um as you said you kind of came together as a group you came in community um just tell us a bit kind of uh how that kind of shaped you and you know you said some of you made a commitment to god and what do the others think about it how did you do it together as a community
2: um wait sorry can you repeat that again so
0: Basically, how did it how did it shape you coming together, and how how did it affect other people who weren't coming to God, and did they see a change or something?
2: Sort of yeah, it was a bit difficult at first because like when your group is divide, uh divided, um, some people are in it and some people are out. You're like you kind of want to act cool, so you don't want to like be the one who's like worshiping. You want to kind of like be like everyone else. So it was a bit difficult, but I think when the more of us. We just stood strong and stood firm, and we started to worship. I think other people started to look at it, and they saw something different, and they was actually impacted by it, um, and it actually made our group go stronger um, when we went back to school because we was all from the same school, and it actually it challenged everyone because some of the things that we would have used, like we used to just say or we thought was all right, we wouldn't do anymore because actually it was kind of on each other's back. So it had a really positive impact
3: um, on us. Nothing much to say off of that, but just the fact that um, the group of us that did commit, we kind of had each other So. You knew that if you slipped off, someone would tell so someone could tell you was you was off a bit, so it's good to have people around you who believe in the same thing as you and want what you want in life. they want the best for you and I believe that once you have that you always you 'll make the right decisions, and God will always be there with you
0: so so cool um, and just obviously at New Day it's very I find it easy to feel part of a community feel part of it and, and actually be really helpful to you guys to, to say what you do in the outside world out of New Day and how that in your kind of in your community where you're based how, how can you how can you give us some advice of how to shape it and people around us aren't Christians people around us do very different things but how can we um, stay who we are if people aren't Christians and do you want to start Remedy with your kind of what you do as a profession
2: Um so I do football. Um for the past like two years I was signed at a professional club and um it was very like different for me because I kinda came in like the system really late and it was like I don't know how to describe it but it was a crazy experience. Like I got to do loads of things, got to train with some amazing players. Um it was it was really crazy, but I think it was really good for me because by the time I did get it was chelsea by the way um by the time I did get into Chelsea, um I was grounded in my faith and it actually it helped me because the lifestyle over there is really different you're suddenly around people with so much money um who are actually quite famous around the world for for their age um and it can, all, it can all get to you if you don't actually have God or you don't know God, who Jesus is. And it was really challenging in a sense because there'll be times where there'll be conversations going on or there'll be certain aspects happening and actually you know it's wrong in your heart. And you're like, you have to make a choice. Am I going to get involved or am I going to actually stand firm in who I am? And it was hard. At first, I'll say sometimes I, went, I got involved. But over, over time, with having my friends back at home... Um, and the church it actually it made me stronger and I actually started to stand firm in it and I think it helped it's helped me grow so much in the last two years. So yeah. So
3: what I've done in the past year? Um so I also play football, not to level Randy unfortunately. Um I play semi pro football um for a club in Essex and I'm also going to university this year in Essex. But um for the past year I've I've been on a gap year And I've been doing a leadership course with my pastor, um, Owen Hilton, and he's really just taught us how to grow up being a leader to ourselves and to those around us. And yeah, I believe that's really grounded me for the past year because you have people around you, once again, people around you within your church who believe in the same thing as you and your friends, so these guys are my friends, and it's like I'm with them every day. So if I if I make a wrong move or if I do something wrong, I, I'm gonna tell them. I'm gonna tell them, so they know to help me. And I believe that once you have that around you, from an area that from the area that I'm from, it's a struggle to fit in and be a Christian because there's so many materialistic things and things that we all want and we all want to go for because we see others that have it but once you're grounded to god it's like it means nothing so once you do that and once you have those around you who can tell you that it's like that's not a problem anymore so yeah
0: That's so cool. Thank you so much, guys. I thought it'd be really good just to open um, the kind of floor up to any questions that you might have uh, for these guys or or Jez or myself, just about the kind of the community around you. Maybe thinking, oh, I'm going back to college or I'm starting something new, or how? What about this? We haven't touched on this. So, come on, hands up. What sort of questions? We don't know the answers. We'll pass them to Jez or anything from this morning, or um, that you're thinking. Actually or anything about these guys and their story that you're thinking, oh, that's really cool, but how did they deal with this? Come on, someone must have a question in here. Here we go, shout it out. Um, So the question was, how do you deal um, if you're kind of, within a larger a different religion so if you're kind of a minority a different religion um, any thoughts on the old panel?
1: Is that something you have personal experience with? Yeah um, I'm a, I'm a bunch of Christians <laughs> Wow so you could probably help us in gaining an insight into what that feels like so you can come out here and uh, come out here and sit with us because I'd like to hear your thoughts on that <laughs> 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 No? No, 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 okay. (laughs) I don't want to put you on the spot. Because particularly, uh, I suppose, uh, faith faith communities um, are a lot harder to penetrate and get into than... family community sometimes uh, particularly if you're on the outside because there's a whole code of belief and belonging that makes it harder for people to integrate and feel like they're part of that so I can understand why you'd ask the question Uh, I don't have the experience that you have and I don't pretend to be an expert on this but I'm aware in one level that is our experience if you're a Christian in a secular society you're in a system that doesn't believe the same things that you do. It doesn't have as strong community ties as a lot of traditional faith communities do, like mosques, perhaps. Um, but, but still, I think there's, there's a lot of resonance and a lot of crossover in what it's like, uh, and just probably in a, in a watered-down form. So when I think about how... So I moved to a, I moved to a, a, a new town a few years ago, uh, a small town where everybody knows everyone, and they've all grown up together, and they're not looking to make new friends because they already have all their friends in the community, I've arrived as a pastor and as a Christian in this town. And so I've I've found that struggle of trying to cross over and become accepted in a community that, from my perspective, doesn't really want new friends because it's already got friends because they've grown up together. And I'm a Christian, so they've already got a lot of preconceived ideas about who I am and what I believe and why they're not going to like me and get on with me. And so my observation has been trying to, I'd say, two things. One adopting a posture of humility and asking as many questions as you can all the time rather than we go in and we want to tell people what we think about the world Um, but actually the best way to be acceptable to someone is to show an interest in them Um, is to try to be interested rather than be interesting i mean that's just a general rule for making friends anyway if you spend time trying to make people interested in you People aren't really going to be warm to you. But if you spend a lot of your time trying to be interested in the person you're talking to, they're going to their barriers are going to drop because they'll think, oh, they care about me. They're interested in me. They're asking questions about me. And guess what? We're all selfish and we're all interested in ourselves. So if someone looks like they agree that you're fascinating and worth getting to know then they're immediately going to think, oh, I should spend more time with you because you sound like a good guy if you're interested in me and I'm fascinating. So that's really good. You're welcome to keep being part of that. Uh, just in terms of developing friendships, like, you, social media has made it quite hard for us because we think now someone is a friend if they click a button and they're a friend and they say they're a friend. And we need to get back to the idea that re- relationship, intimacy in relationships, I think, operates along a spectrum from close life partner whether spouse or just intimate friend down one end and just acquaintance or someone we bump into and have a few exchanges with at the other and all relationships that you come across are somewhere in in the middle and understanding where you're at with someone is quite important for knowing what you should share how you should behave what kind of relationships you've got C.S. Lewis has a fascinating insight in this when he talks about friendship he said ultimately friendship's A friend isn't isn't something that's made. A friend is someone who's discovered. A friend, different from a lover, a lover is someone who you look at someone in the eyes passionately adoring each other. A friend is different. A friend is someone you stand alongside and you look at the world together and you say to each other, do you see that too? You see the world in the way that I do? And I think when it comes to making friends or befriending people, you're trying to show someone that you see things the same as they do. Do you see that the same way that I do I'm interested in that too and that puts you on an equal level footing level playing field with them and so I think my, my first suggestion would be when trying to establish yourself among a group that is already established and doesn't want to necessarily have new people in it I think you start by asking questions and being interested as long as you can in them and then eventually they'll say huh you're interested in us you must be worth getting to know as well come closer that'd be my answer to that question any other comments
0: I think as well, and depending on the religion or race or anything but God sees them God loves them as well and I know my friends I've got a lot of different types of friends I've got gay friends I've got this but actually it's not having my judgement clouded but actually you're st- you don't know it yet but you are a daughter of, of God and um, and not creating these groups but just constantly being like no actually God loves these people however how hard sometimes it's hard to get through or they don't have the same morals but actually God loves them and that's not going to stop me from like Jez said befriending them Or um, so that's probably what I would Loving is really important as well.
1: I'd be interested to have another question, but before we do that, I'd like to ask you guys a question. Um, When when it comes to being shaped by the people in our lives, particularly people who are older than us, who aren't just peer relationships, submitting to them and receiving their advice, even when we don't want to, is is really painful. But I think that's part of what it means to say, I am who you say I am. So if you tell me I shouldn't do this, I'm going to submit and listen to you, even though I don't want to, because that's part of finding my identity in someone else. So I'd like to ask a question to you two. Uh, can you think of any experiences in church, or you actually, Georgia, sorry about that. Um, can you think of any experiences in your life where a an authority figure, a pastor, or maybe just a friend, has given you some advice that you didn't necessarily want to submit to, you didn't want to take, but you did it anyway f- because you saw that they cared about you and that that then brought out some benefit in your life. Put you on the spot to think of a life story.
2: Yeah, I'd say there's been like plenty of times. So, um our form two, who took us to New Day, constantly like challenges us and sometimes you're like oh I really don't want to hear this because you you might enjoy what it is but you know that it's good for you and actually like I realized when you submit to it it does you so much more good like in the long run you actually realize you look back at it and you think actually yeah this is actually it's helped me so much and it's actually stopped me from doing xyz or which could have had like great consequences so yeah i agree i think it's really important to have so- to submit to someone's advice Also, i think you should think about it because you shouldn't just take advice off anyone um you got to think about what they're telling you and um also kind of like res- see if you can resonate with why it's good but i think sometimes it is really well not sometimes most of the times if they are wise then you should listen to what they say
1: My, my example of something similar is when I was at uni and there was a girl that I was drawn to was building a friendship with and wanted to date. And some of my my Christian friends told me I shouldn't because she wasn't a believer. And at the time, I was really annoyed at them, but I took their advice as much as I didn't want to. And I you know, just wound things down in my friendship with this girl, which was helpful because two months later, I met the lady who came on to be my wife. Um, and had I not have taken the advice of my friends and pursued a relationship with someone, then I may have missed the chance to meet my friend, Uh, meet my friend, meet my wife. Um, She is also my friend (laughs) and a very good friend, Um, which is good to know as well. Um, Someone I know, a pastor says, everybody needs a Muppet friend. Someone who's willing to tell you when you're being a Muppet. Uh, And that's a good piece of advice. Have you got a Muppet friend, someone who you trust enough? And I don't think it needs to be a peer. A muppet person in your life. Have you got a muppet who's willing to tell you you're being a muppet? Stop it. Sort it out. That would be a piece of advice there. Should we have any more questions? We have another question, then we'll um, we'll wrap things up. Maybe a question about digital community, perhaps, or something. Church. I'm happy to share thoughts. Okay, great. I just want to share one more thought on digital community. Thanks for asking. And then we'll wrap things up. <laughs> In answer to your question, sir. Um, I heard someone say something recently that I thought was a a fascinating insight that's worth us reflecting on. When it comes to community, we're in an age of social, digital communities, and we're grateful for them. You know, we hear a lot about how bad and destructive they can be for us. But equally, it is the age that we're in, and we, we can either run away from it and just live up a pole in the desert, or we can live in the real world and embrace it. But someone said to me, digital communities are helpful, but they are essentially a scaffold to a real community. Now, when you're, when you're doing work on a building or you're trying to build a building, you put up scaffolding around it and then you build it and the scaffolding holds it in place. You can live in scaffolding, It'll be drafty. It'll be cold. But you can live in, in scaffolding if you really like to. In the same way that digital community and, and online communities, there's a lot of good to them, but they are essentially just scaffolding to real community, real relationship occurs person to person, body to body, where you can look someone in the eye. They can give you a hug when you're sad. You can pat them on the back to encourage them. You can feel a physical presence, and that's something that you cannot ever replicate just online. So as you and as good and as helpful a lot of digital community can be for you you need to see it not as being the end in itself but as being the scaffold for the building that is the real friendship and if you approached it like that as being a means to help you develop friendship rather than being the arena of friendship I think it would help you make a lot better wiser choices navigate some of the the challenges that we face on social media so think of Digital community as being like scaffold, whereas body-to-body, person-to-person community as being real friendship that's um, genuine and able to develop and flourish in ways that's going to serve you ultimately. Body-to-body rather than screen-to-screen. That was what I wanted to say on that. I thought that was a useful insight. Thank you. It's really good, wasn't it? Really good. Why don't we... Um, let's just close in prayer. And... Um, yeah. Mighty God, you are Father, Son, Spirit. You are eternally community. You've made us in your image as people who don't just exist in a vacuum and don't just exist on our own, but have been made to exist in community in a way that represents you, the communal God. I ask that you'd help us to be people who see the benefit and beauty and value of community and give ourselves to others, submit to others out of reverence for Christ, help us to submit to one another. God, we say we don't want to run from the labels in our lives. We embrace the fact that we're a son, we're a daughter, we're a friend, we're an employee. We might be a husband or a wife. We might be a boss. We might be a student. We don't want to run from those labels because those labels speak of belonging to particular people and particular groups and we thank you for them. We just ask God that you'd help us to be Christ-like people in those communities and help us to form Christ-like youth groups, Christ-like churches in the way that we behave and interact with each other. Spirit of God, come and fill us with your power and enable us to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.